How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Sadie Carpenter, cult expert, cult survivor is here with you today as every day. My name is Gabrielle Hakoan. How are you doing today, this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is, depending on where you are, Sadie? <laughs> Fantastic. I'm so ready to get into this topic today. Yeah. Do you want to tell the people a little bit about what it is we're going to do today? So we have been in kind of a chain of episodes between Gender's book, talking about the uh, Christian influencer to marriage influencer pipeline. We've got one more episode coming next week where we're going to talk about one of the big bads of woman-perpetrated Christian misogyny. That's Lori Alexander, who goes online as the transformed wife. We've got an amazing guest that we're going to announce at the end of the episode, who will be talking about uh, transformed wife with us. All of these things have this through line of talking about gender and feminism and etc. So I think it's a really great thing that we have this episode here today because today we're talking about a completely different type of cult-like thinking. We're talking about secular misogyny as exhibited by manosphere influencers online. 
What's interesting to me is that you you were talking about the 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 kind of misogyny that uh that that the, the women induced misogyny like mm-hmm. uh, um this is almost I would describe as like the male equivalent to that. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't you know I didn't really pay that much attention to this sort of thing but my targeted advertisements well i'll get advertisements for like dude influencers who, are, who who call themselves like coach brett howard or whatever like some <laughs> some dude who who's like who calls himself a, like a coach and it'll say something like masculine men keep women feminine or some shit like that mm-hmm. um if you're a man on the internet, then you then you get those ads. I get those ads, and I'm just like, what? That, I usually I like I'll screenshot it, I'll send it to Sadie because I think it's funny, but I'll just scroll past it. So what I think is so interesting about this is how similar the general thought about women, femininity, masculinity, what it means to be a man, is to what we hear in Christian fundamentalist circles. Just how broad that overlap is. The reasoning and the outcomes can be so similar. And it's the same kind of thinking, whether we're talking about these secular manosphere influencers or Christian fundamental patriarchy or someone like Laurie Alexander, who is seeking to impose these same misogynistic views on other women and other people's marriages. Today, we're going to talk about um, some of those similarities and also how the manosphere can be related to cult-like ways of thinking. Yeah. So this episode is going to be kind of like a general overview of how these, this sort of content relates to the bite model and, and that sort of thinking. And if, if like, if I got into specifics about like, it was like pulling quotes and, and reviewing actual videos that I'd seen that I'd watched during the research for this, then we'd have a five epi- hour episode on our hands. And I don't want to do that. And I know that a lot of these individual influencers that we're talking about, um, I know, let's, I mean, Andrew Tate, Jordan Peterson, Robert Evans has done uh, uh, like behind the bastards episodes on both of those guys and a lot of people who are similar to that. So if that's the kind of content that you're looking for, I would highly recommend that because I, um, I checked those out during my research for this as well. And I, but I just didn't really want to recreate that kind of content. So what I'm focusing on is like the other side of it, like what it's like to consume that content and the cult control um, aspects of consuming that content and, and, and how people get sucked into that. But before we get into that, uh, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast mostly about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, then there's a couple of things that you can do to support us you can join our patreon where you will get an extended and uncensored version of today's episode also you'll get it a day early Uh, if you want to get our episodes a day early then you can subscribe to it on the patreon you also get some bonus content we recently came out with an episode that was us reviewing a book of bad fundamentalism marriage advice which was extremely interesting and had some truly wild stuff on it 
you don't want to miss that. So make sure you go to the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast to check that out. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. And as always, hit that like, hit that download, hit that follow, hit that subscribe button on wherever you get your podcasts, and it'll recommend our show to people who listen to the same shows as you, and that's one of the biggest ways that we grow our audience. Um, we're just trying to get the word out there. Is that it, or do or are, am I ready to thank the Faith Promise Missions and I Gave It All to Your Patrons? Yeah, I think we're ready to get into that. Faith Promise Missions and I Gave It All to Your Patrons, thank you so much. We have two I gave it all to your patrons, same as always, Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mosley. The two of you, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. We are so thankful for your continued and unprecedented support. Thank you so much to Kathleen and Melissa. And we have our Faith Promise Missions to your patrons, Alex Todd, Alicia Guild, Ali Allen, Anisha Patel, Brittany. Brooke Tully, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, the musical, Didi Keppel. Oh, Didi's back. I missed her. Welcome back. Eleanor Donahue, Elizabeth DeWorth, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton Hears a Shane. I'm just here to send Sadie True Crime Podcast suggestions, aka Meg. Janine Callen. Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Jonathan Miller, Katerwee, Catherine Schneider, uh, Kristen Marie, Lauren Vanderwall, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, MC Crunchwrap, hashtag the boy who cried sauce, Michaela Upright, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Mike Smith, Rob the Methodist, Sadie's actual BFF. Um, is that Morgan? That is Morgan. Hey, oh Morgan. I missed you. Sarah Reese, Scooby Sleuth, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, Taylor Ray. Oh, Taylor Ray. That must be a new one. Thank you, Taylor Ray. The Lady Rabbi, Tiffany Enderby. Victoria McKenzie, Walnut, Son of Walnut, Wendy Dalton, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much to all our Faith Promise Mission and I Gave It All to Your Patrons. So many names that I think they, they maybe disappeared from our Faith Promise Missions for a while, and now they're back. I feel like we're getting the band back together. Well, thank you so much to all of our patrons over on Patreon, to those of you who are new and or returning after a quick break. We appreciate all of you and we're so thankful for your continued support. It's fantastic. And we really couldn't do this show without all of you guys uh, uh, having our uh, uh, just really supporting us in the way that you do. Well, I mean, we could, but we would probably put out like a one hour episode every two weeks. That's true. And uh, people would just not be satisfied. <laughs> Sadie, why don't you give us the TW and then we'll get going. So in general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, 
child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics, but we do try to avoid graphic detail unless it's relevant and necessary for the story that we're telling. And we do our best to give you a heads up before we go into detail on any of these topics for any reason. In this episode, we're going to be discussing a ton of misogyny, just all, all of it, all of the kinds and shapes of misogyny. We will also likely mention racism, mass shootings, individual violence against women, uh, transphobia, homophobia, sex trafficking, but those will be briefer mentions and not the entire topic of the episode. So I just wanted to maybe start out by asking why we're talking about this topic in particular. And I think that this has been an issue that's sort of been bubbling under the surface, but now I, I really think that it's come to light and a lot of people are really talking about it and, and people view it as a, a problem in the mainstream. Um, would you agree with that, Sadie? Yes, I yes, absolutely. So I think one reason why this is a hot button issue right now is um, a couple of months ago, Andrew Tate, who is is a, a known very misogynist influencer, um, and he's going to come back up a bunch later in this episode. He was arrested for sex trafficking in Romania, and that was a big news story, and people were talking about him. Also, there have been, as as Sadie said, um, there have been numerous mass shootings in which the 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 killers have written almost a sort of manifesto and one of the primary reasons for and if you look at what the manifestos have said and i've read quite a few of these manifestos i would not recommend reading all of them many of them often cite a lack of sex and 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 a feeling like women are uninterested in the killers because of either racist reasons or just be feeling like they're not the right person or they were born wrong. And I think that that incels in general, which is a, a shortened way of saying involuntary celibate, that's a thing that has had internet awareness for a while. But this newer rise of manosphere influencers who rather they're not pickup artists, it's not the same thing. As, as old school pickup artists, but they're definitely related. They, they're they not saying, oh, I'm just going to teach you how to be able to have sex with any woman that you want to. It's more about a, a lifestyle overhaul that will make you desirable and wanted. And that's where things get culty. What I've noticed is that there's sort of like two sides to this. There's one side, which is the trad fam side like the traditional family side of this and this is the side that sort of espouses traditional values quote-unquote or western values uh which is buzzword for white supremacy that sort of thing and is also a a really obvious crossover with patriarchal christian groups such as vision forum but even other fundamentalist trad femme influencers like the minor fundies that grace the hallowed halls of the fundy stark subreddit yes exactly but they, they're all extremely reactionary the other side of this is the side that is sort of more related to the pickup artist thing that Sadie mentioned a little bit ago. It's it's very much like the lifestyle slash pickup artist slash hustler grind set uh, mentality. Mm -hmm. And that side of things almost encourage, well, it often encourages uh, like a sociopathic treatment of women in pursuit of sex. 
these are two sides that you would think are diametrically opposed because the the trad fam side that's supposed to be about protecting women and the other side the hustler side is supposed to be about treating women as literally like disposable objects but these two sides are almost like they're joined in solidarity in anti-wokeism Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about the elements of both of these sides and how they kind of come together and cross pollute. And it's it, it's it's very interesting and very weird. And this is something that I've been basically researching and working on for months and months and months for like four or five months, I think. So like so when I started out this research project, I had a few different ideas of how to do it. The first idea that I had. Uh, my first methodology was that I was going to go to Reddit, find several Reddit users that were very much a part of these various misogynist cultures, and then trace their post history back to when they first got sucked into it and observe the change. That was my original idea. Unfortunately, this didn't really work out because people tend to delete their Reddit accounts and create new accounts quite frequently. My second plan was that I was going to create a fake account and try to like infiltrate to see if I could really talk one-on-one with these guys about what they believe and try to pretend to be one of them. But that turned out not to be necessary because the people who are into this pretty much just are open about what they think. And they'll, there is no like saying the quiet part out loud. It's just the, it's, it's very much on its surface. What it is. Yeah. There's not really a quiet part here. No. So what I've done is I've spent several months reading everything from online forums to browsing meme pages to consuming and consuming and consuming and consuming the content that they espouse to to I, I went from trying to find out what makes people get sucked into this to changing my question to what would it have taken for me to get sucked into this when I was younger and more impressionable and it's a little bit scary for me to admit this but there's not a like a, if a couple of things had been different in my life then I could very easily have been sucked into this it's actually pretty terrifying when you think about it. So usually when we discuss the bite model, we start with behavior control and information control because those are the easiest ones to spot. Um, as you, If you're just tuning into this episode, if you don't know, the, the method that we use to identify cult control is there's four aspects to it. There's behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotion control. Um, and usually start with behavior and information control because those two are, are the most on the surface, easy to spot. And then we go from there to say, how does that influence the thought control and emotion control? For this episode, Sadie, I'd prefer to start with the thought control and the emotion control and the self brainwashing aspects of it because the behavior and information control are very much products of that. I'm really interested to see how that plays out. I'm sure you've heard it said I know I've heard this said. I'm sure you've heard it said that conservatives are logical and liberals are emotional. Have you heard that? Oh, yeah. Said, yeah, that's whether or not that's true. That's how people are stereotyped. The liberals are the bleeding hearts who will cry if you kill a spider in your house. And the conservatives are the pragmatic brass tax people who favor conventional wisdom and experience. Of course, we know that this is not really the case. Oftentimes, liberals can be motivated by science and data, while conservatives can be motivated by fear-mongering. But I have a theory here. My, my theory is that I believe that when they say logic, logic is a buzzword. It doesn't mean logic. Interesting. I'm going to jump 
also to something that may feel like a non sequitur, but it's not. Um, I want to talk about video games and, and gaming here. And not for the reason why you may think. Have you ever played Legend of Zelda, Sadie? I have not. So in this game, you basically, you go from dungeon to dungeon. In every dungeon, you face challenges. Like, there, there'll be like a puzzle. There'll be some enemies you have to fight. And you, you face challenges. You figure out a puzzle. You have to beat a mini boss. And then you get an item. And then when you, you, when you get this item, you use this item to beat the big boss. And after you beat the big boss, your quest continues to go to the next dungeon and so on and so on and so on. Now, as we go through life, we have to overcome challenges. Then we have to beat these challenges. We acquire things after we complete these challenges, be they like a diploma, a degree, a job, a car, a house, a boat, a chainsaw, a motorcycle, what have you. But what if you see having a wife or having a girlfriend as the same as having one of these items? This is... I think objectification in its purest form in that you see women as a prize, as something that you get in exchange for being rich or being successful or being handsome. Of course, we all know that's not how things work in the real world. Yes, there are some women out there who will date a guy or, or marry a guy for his money or, or just for his looks or just for status, but that's not the, the, the way that most people operate. That's not Right. Because women are people and people do things for different reasons depending on their objectives. And women who do date or marry men for money aren't any less human. They just have different motivations that fall outside of my own personal needs or wants or ideas of ethics. Because women are people. That's why. Yeah. The primary way that I believe that men are led down the road to extremism is by telling them that they aren't good enough to attract women that they don't have money, that they don't have cars, that they don't have watches, that they don't have a good enough job to attract a woman. They convince men that they aren't a high-value man. These men, they're thinking of themselves as a character from a video game with a stat sheet that says, I don't know, bank account 30,000, income 80,000, car BMW, height five foot 11 weight 164 pounds and that women will look at all of those things and pick the one that logically seems like the best provider or the the person who will get them what they want essentially you have a step beyond the objectification of women to the commodification of women a woman is now an item like having a car Having an average-looking girlfriend is like having a Toyota Corolla, and having a more glamorous girlfriend is like driving a Mercedes-Benz or wearing a Rolex watch. Oh, God. Those last two sentences just turned my stomach into a brick. Just... Right. But you've encountered this. I mean, I lived in that. Yeah. So this this I'm really glad that we got objectification up here at the top because this entire thing is based around the kind of two-sided coin that women are not people, at least not in the same way that men are. They're more like NPCs in a man's game and also that women as a category all sort of want the same things. It's it's like woman is a thing and then she comes with accessories like, oh, this is the rock climbing edition or this is the knitting hobby edition or this is the false lashes and really nice nails edition. All the, the things that make 
a person have personality uh, are not seen as facets of a per a real human woman being human beings personality they are seen as like accessories add-on items to the item which you are trying to acquire which is woman i also want to point out of course this is very um erasive of trans and non-binary people we are going to get to that we are categorizing all people into men and women because that is what these influencers do. I promise we're going to unpack that down the line. It's part of their whole worldview that that transgender people, non-binary people, that's fake. That that's not real. That's people who are who are disturbed and there's something wrong with them. And that's like that's that's what these people believe. Right. Um, and we're going to get I, I'm sure we'll get into why that is. But just wanted to put a note at the top. Like anytime you and I are like men, this women, this I feel like I need to leave a note to make sure that people don't people people know we haven't forgotten about them. Right. Because we're, we're operating in universe. Here. Right. Uh, so uh, if you're a young man. Maybe you were a bright kid in school. You showed an aptitude for history or science. You understand biology and science at the level of somebody who passed their high school classes with decent marks. You understand that humans are animals, and not in a depraved way, but in a way that means that we are not immune to evolution. The crux of Charles Darwin's theory of evolution is that females choose mates based on a number of factors, primarily based on who will produce the best offspring and whose offspring stand the best chance at continuing the species. Think back to what I said about men being logical thinkers, and then think of the implications of, of that statement and that worldview. So as I move on from this point, I want you to think about something else. I want you to think about the demographic of men who are most likely to be taken in by this type of logical thinking. They're taken in at a time when their obsession with sex is peaking, but also during a time when their self-control is not fully developed. So basically between the ages of like, I'd say 12 and 22. To say that young men have a tendency to be sex obsessed during that age is an understatement. I want you to combine that with the way that sex and hypersexuality is present on social media and in marketing in ways that it hasn't been before. Like advertisers on Instagram, TikTok can basically use pornography to sell their products. And it's only really regulated by an algorithm, which determines what is the most likely to grab the attention of the people for the longest amount of time. So not only do we have young men whose ideas of relationships is warped and very transactional, but they also see sex as something that is primarily used to sell things. And whether or not it's intentional or just a side product of the media that they consume, they're bombarded with this messaging all day. I mean, I tell like, so the first time I downloaded TikTok, I, I opened up the app and I guess they, this was a couple of years ago. They just said, 27 year old straight man, let's show him girls advertising their OnlyFans just over and over and over and over again. And in order for you to get it to not show you that, you have to just say, no, 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 no. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this over and over and over and over again for like days straight. But if you're a 17-year-old boy and you can just open up your phone and it shows you a constant feed of video game clips, luxury cars, and pornography, are you going to train it to not show you that? So like not only 
that, but you're also bombarded with advertisements for like cheesy and tacky romantic gifts with like captions from hot girls saying things like, OMG, I would melt if my BF got me this. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or with like the robot voice that says, OMG, I would melt if my BF got me this. Like TikTok robot lady voice advertisement. And it's like a glass wall hanging with the silhouette of like the Google map readout of like where your first date was or something. Or it's like a ring design that has some like design element to symbolize all of the things that you've been through or something. Just like, like you were saying with Paul and Morgan, they're selling a very commercial and false sense of intimacy. Or there'll be like ads that say why millennials are using this app to spice up their relationships. You know, you've seen that one, right? Yeah. And like I have one, well, two items that are similar that are in that same vein of like romantic gifts. Uh, Jonathan got me a necklace that it's the um, position of the planets on the night that we met. Oh, that's sweet. And I think that's adorable. But the way that these ads are targeted to people, it makes you feel like it's going to lead these young men to think that all that young women want is coasters and sweaters and beanies and socks and wall hangings and rings and necklaces and earrings that all have similar kind of sentimental value. Or or like that the, the, that sort of thing is all that you have to do to make a woman fall in love with you. You see the ones that are like the the Huff Post think piece from 2014 that are like why millennials are ditching X for Y, yeah. you know, like but it's like an advertisement. No, my favorite one that I've seen lately is that is this one that you can send a bunch of details about your wife or girlfriend or fiance to some or, or like some romantic thing that you did and then they'll send you back like a Jason Mraz sounding song. Like I, I, they'll hire, they'll get some songwriter to do like a Jason Mraz sounding song and write and record it and include those details. And they'll show like a TikTok reaction video of some beautiful blonde woman with her extremely handsome six foot three blonde boyfriend or fiance or husband playing the song when they're in the car together. You, you've seen that one, right? Yeah. Every time I see that one, I think I need to sign up for that company to write the songs because that really? seems... Yeah, because that seems pretty easy, and like I'm, I'm good at writing lyrics. Yeah, we could do that. Shit. That'd be a great grift. I mean, it's it's pr- it's like just over the top like that, you know. So they're bombarded with this stuff. That's not just like sex, but extremely sappy outward appearance of relationship stuff. So they're like seeing this stuff, and they're seeing this is what I'm missing out on. Right. And it's not that there's anything wrong with any of those items or services that are being sold individually, but what there is something wrong with the idea that that's all there is to a relationship. Anyway, enter Manosphere influencers. They could be somebody as brazen in their misogyny as Andrew Tate, or they could be somebody like Jordan Peterson, whose strategy is to try to intellectualize misogyny and give a very ivory tower but seemingly logical argument towards quote-unquote traditional gender roles being against feminism being against the woke agenda or you know whatever the the woke agenda is that day um whatever thing it is that they're raging against and all of their content is to convince young men that they are not of value to modern society that modern society does not value them either you're not tall enough you're too fat you're too thin, you're not strong enough, but also you're white. 
and because you're white, your opinions aren't valuable, that you're heterosexual. And because you're heterosexual, your opinions aren't valuable. You didn't like a movie. The woke mob thinks that because you didn't like that movie, that makes you racist. You didn't listen to the new Lizzo song. The woke mob thinks that because you didn't listen to the new Lizzo song, you're fat phobic. You don't want to have sex with a transgender person. That means that you hate transgender people. If you ever have a good job, somebody is going to find out about your hateful views and report you to human resources, and you're going to be unemployable for the rest of your life. The entire world of culture is going along with this, and you need to fight it. And that's what they're telling these guys. So I have a theory about this, and I don't know if this is totally wild, so you'll have to let me know. Go for it. So I think... Backing up several steps, men in general and people have been so socialized into toxic behavior that it's almost impossible for there to be nothing in a a particular man's life that he wouldn't worry about the quote-unquote woke mob finding out about. Something like using the F-slur, that's certainly no longer acceptable. But just a few years ago, it was something that practically all young men did. It was, from what I hear, just kind of what you called your high school buddies I've even heard stories from guys a couple of years older than me about they used to just ride in one of their friends' cars down the road and yell the F slur at random passersby. And that was just that was just a thing that was obnoxious teenage behavior, but didn't have any specific homophobic intent or intent to cause harm to anybody. And I've heard this from several people that I know. And of course, they feel terrible about it now. And of course, they would never do anything like that now. But it was it was just behavior that most, if not all, young men engaged in. So now they look back and they and they realize that there are things that they've done in the past that would not be acceptable now. And I think that's why this fear-based tactic of the woke mob wants to get you is so effective. So I don't disagree with you. I've had social media since I was 14 years old, since I started high school. And I'm sure that if I wanted to, um, and I went back through my Facebook memories, you know how they do. uh, I'm sure that I could go back and find some extremely problematic things that I've said over the years. But the emergence of social media sort of also coincided with a lot of language. For instance, the F slur, the R word no longer being acceptable. But every year you see a news article that says Harvard University rescinds the acceptance of a 17-year-old because when they were 15, they tweeted the T-slur about Caitlyn Jenner or something. You've seen those articles. Probably. And I don't want to act like that's the sort of thing that's okay. But I also want to say that I believe teenagers should be allowed to make their mistakes in private. Is that crazy? Am I I crazy for saying that? I think, see, I would, I would, give the same sentiment and phrase it differently. I would say I think teenagers need to be educated about the fact that the internet is forever and be encouraged to keep things off the internet. Yeah, but they're not going to do that. That's not the like thing. because you're going to say something that will that you will realize 15 years down the road was horribly offensive and you should never have said it, but more just that, but also from it from an internet safety perspective that's true but also i mean kids have poor judgment and they're going to do it anyway like acting like teenagers are always going to make whatever the rational or correct decision and thinking oh well we can educate this behavior out of them that's not i don't necessarily think that that's the most effective way to do to do that that's kind of in my view like saying um 
Well, the only truly 100% effective birth control method is abstinence. It's like that. Yeah. Then again, I grew up in a cult where like being a teenager didn't really exist the way that it does out here in the world. So maybe I just don't know. Especially if you grow up in a less accepting environment and you get exposed to different kinds of people that change the way that you think about things. There's been a lot of debate on this topic. I think that there is also an idea that people should feel obligated to air out any problematic views that they at one point held and to publicly and openly state what their position was and what how that's changed over the years and have like a mea culpa and like a public confession of their sins in order to assure everybody that they now hold the correct view. And I'm not a fan of that idea either. I don't like the intention behind that. I think if a person has had said things that were problematic, harmful uh, over, over the past, it's perfectly fine for them to apologize and say that they've changed. What I don't like is the idea that You've oh you've got to confess your sins and then say you're sorry and then it goes away because there's no internal work or evidence of internal work being done and it's just it's performative. So on this note, a lot of young men are very socially awkward. We've all been there. A lot of young people are very socially awkward. What these manosphere influencers are telling young men is that in the post Me Too era, that any social misstep, any display of attraction towards a woman who does not share your feelings, who do, who does not reciprocate your feelings, even in an appropriate way. Like if, if you ask a girl out and she says no, this amounts to sexual violence. That That's what they're telling you. They're telling you that if you tell a woman that her hair looks nice and she isn't into you, that's sexual harassment. And as soon as somebody comes forward and accuses you, you're automatically guilty. So you better not do anything that could even be misconstrued as such. And I'm sure as our ex-Fundy listeners know, the hyper-awareness of your actions can absolutely manifest itself into a generalized anxiety disorder. So it also creates a situation in which a normal crush, you know, normal feelings of attraction to somebody get bottled up and made into like true love or nothing scenario in your mind. Like a crush becomes an obsession and normal disappointment and rejection becomes a life-alteringly damaged experience under this like anxiety thought pattern. And these feelings once again get turned inwards. It becomes, if I was rich, she would like me. If I was three inches taller, she would like me. If I had a nice car, she would like me. If I had a bodybuilder's physique, then she would like me. Okay, so it's several related concepts, and then it's turning into a path that people go down. Yes. So there's there's objectification of women, where a woman or a particular woman is a thing that you want to maybe own, but if not own, at least have or get. Then there is a lie that is built on so the truth is our society is changing and we are trying to be a lot kinder with how we treat other people. But there's a lie built on top of that where if you even ask a girl out and she's not into you, that's sexual harassment, which preys on the normal social awkwardness of young men that makes them say dumb things when they're asking a girl out. Which, by the way, it's not a judgment. Uh, if I weren't married and I were asking girls out, I would say stupid things too. So I'm not <laughs> judging <laughs> You, you don't, don't even want to the, know the, the stupid uh, things that I have said in, in the 
Oy vey. Oh my god. <laughs> nope. So one time, sometime in the future, we gotta have like a cringe fest. Like whose <laughs> whose uh, uh 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 dating attempts when they were single are the oh, most Nate. cringeworthy. Oh man. <laughs> that's where I gave it all Patreon. <laughs> no, that's a that's that's a, a Patreon exclusive episode that we gotta do at some point. I don't know. That's we'll I'd see. Do that. uh, but so so like the, you know, there's a natural anxiety of like the world is changing and I wanna keep up with the language. And I, you know, we're treating other people very differently than I've been accustomed to in the past. And I'm worried that I've said things in the past that were highly offensive and problematic. And that's that's the truth. But there's a lie built on top of it of they are coming to get you for anything that you have ever said that was bad in your past. And if anybody ever finds something like that, it's going to be unfixable, which <sighs> cancel culture is not <laughs> real because Louis C.K. is still booking massive stadiums yeah i saw that that's a few things are unfixable even things that perhaps should be unfixable they let bill cosby out of jail what i didn't know bill about cosby's that. out of j- yeah they uh apparently the, yeah they let bill cosby out of jail oh man so i mean they let jack scop out so am i really surprised all of these concepts get distilled together into Well, if you were rich, if you were taller, if you had a better car, if you had a better body, then none of this would matter. None of these things would be barriers to your intention to get or have a woman. Exactly. Okay. So I'll tell you, so as a man who uses social media, I am bombarded with social media advertisement that really plays into the fallacy of women being gotten or had. Like... I can't tell you how many like TikTok style advertisements I see for some product where it will be, it'll be like some guy on the street interviewing random, young, beautiful women and asking them, would you rather date a guy who uses X product or Y product? You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. you've seen these or I've seen the ones this, this one's one of my favorite ones. They'll get like the, the girls on the street, like the, the beautiful young women on the street and say, would you date a guy who is under six foot? And then these women will say, absolutely not. And it's an ad where they're trying to sell you shoes with built-in three-inch lifts in them. That and is the dumbest. I'm not going to go off on, the ta- <laughs> on a tangent because this episode is already long. But I don't know why six foot is supposedly the line for how tall men must be. That's the stupidest. The, the, just the dumbest line. It's. Be- I mean, they figured out, oh, man, they we use body image issues to sell to women why not try it on men too like that's that's literally what they've done no and it's all extremely superficial they're trying to say basically buy this thing and you can get this girl too it's basic marketing but it plays into this fallacy i in my experience women are not as superficial as men because these ads are all geared toward men and men are uh, a lot of these men are very superficial so Mm -hmm. they just assume that women are as superficial as they are so that's that's kind of how it goes um, so what anyway. happens here is the Manosphere toxic misogyny influencer coach comes in and he says, the reason that you can't have this thing that you want, this object that you want, is actually a woke culture. They think you're bad because you did these totally acceptable things. I don't even see why using that language that you used shouldn't be acceptable anyway. They drag out extreme examples, like the kid who got rejected from Harvard over a tweet. They use that as a scare tactic. This is what they want to do to you too. 
it's really interesting how they are building lies on the back of truth, although that is what most lies are made out of. It's always interesting to see such a, a granular example of it. And that's where the thought control, emotion control, and even behavior control come in. Because if you thought this way, if you believe these things about yourself, and if you behaved this certain way that I'm going to teach you how to behave, you would be worthy of getting the thing that you want and you also deserve. So I want to talk about how purity culture ties into this as well. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah, as well as also something that I'm going to call the Chad Virgin dichotomy. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so these, these men ascribe to a form of purity culture that I would describe as very different from the purity culture that, it, that is present in evangelical Christianity. So this purity culture, rather than saying sex is evil, senses, sex is sinful, sex is defiling, puts a reverence over sex that I would almost describe as idolatry. Like the form of purity culture elevates sex to the greatest experience of hum like of human existence and nothing else can ever come close to this. It's so good that it alters your perception of existence and once it happens, your entire outlook on life changes. I mean, sex is good, but this is neither real nor accurate. <laughs> like that's and that's sort of the thing, is that like this perception does a few things. First, it makes sex into the entire purpose of your existence like getting sex is the entire purpose of your existence on earth i would point out that getting having getting sex be the focus or purpose of your existence at least eventually is exactly what christian purity culture does it well there's a huge parallel uh between christian purity culture and this very different kind of purity culture that you're talking about in that they both think that whether you have or have not had sex is somehow a major factor of who you are as a person. In reality, that's a tiny part of what makes a person who they are. There are so many things that are equally important and so many things that are way more important about a person than whether they've had sex or not. Second, though, the, the second thing that this does is it divides the world up into people who know and people who don't. And the... Terms for these two groups of people are chads and virgins. I feel silly saying that on the podcast. Uh, but a chad is the name given to a stereotypical person for whom things are going well, a person for whom things come easily. Like a chad is a guy who has self-confidence, who maybe doesn't have trouble attracting women, a guy who... I don't want to say coast through life, but, you know, go th goes through life with varyingly positive degrees of success. A virgin is a socially awkward, less attractive guy who can, you can tell just has low self-esteem just from his body language. A guy who like overthinks every decision because he has to be able to leverage every possibility in order for things to even a little bit go his way, even though they never do. An extreme version of the virgin is the incel, which is, as Sadie said earlier, a, a portmanteau of the words involuntary celibate. So this is an example of information control, actually. One key part of information control is dividing people into the in-group and the out-group, the us versus them thinking. So I would say that virgin-chad dichotomy is is a um, information control tactic. I, I browse a lot of meme pages just for fun. And if you browse meme pages, you see the virgin-chad memes all the time. And I'll admit they can be pretty funny. 
you could see one that says virgin cinephile versus chad moviegoer and the virgin cinephile is like complaining that there's though there's too many digital effects rather than practical special effects and it ruins the movie and the chad cinephile is just like i went to see avatar 2 and i thought it was really good like <laughs> yeah but like this is just a joke this is the sort of idea that you hear around like stand-up comedy or comedy in general that in order to make something funny is that you tell the truth and you break conventions so then this gets conflated into if it's funny then it must be true and this idea sort of pops up around stand-up comedians who tell off-color or bigoted jokes because people laughed at them therefore people laughed at it it's funny therefore it must be true the ideas must be true as well well this kind of gets applied to memes as well and so you get people like young men especially who are used to having their comedic tastes very much catered to who really buy into this philosophy and you can see why somebody might actually take what is essentially like a stupid meme they might take it seriously like i think these memes are funny but i'm not actually setting any store by it you see what i'm saying yeah but people might not have the discernment to laugh at something and then go wait is that true yeah. And then make it an informed decision on what they actually believe about that thing. Right. And like if you're a college freshman and you're socially awkward, you don't know how to talk to girls. I'm just creating a, a fictional or maybe you're you're like hyper anxious and your emotional regulation is not really well developed because you're 19 years old. Everybody around you is having sex and you're not. And you're going to feel resentment towards them and you're going to feel inadequate. And if you're a young man, not only are you sort of ashamed of your virgin status, but you're also deeply afraid that when the time comes, you're not going to be able to adequately perform in order to satisfy your partner. So the impetus then is not just on finding somebody who will have sex with you, but also on finding somebody who has not had sex before so that she won't have anybody else to compare you to, so that she won't be disappointed by your mediocre performance. So now, every woman on your campus, say you're a college kid, every woman on your campus who isn't a virgin is no longer available. And every time a girl you're crushing on starts going out with somebody, or maybe, you know, she has like a casual fling with some guy, but it's not that serious. You know, and if you were to like, you know, shoot your shot, like try to talk to her, maybe she'd give you a chance. Now she's off limits. And I'll tell you this right now, maybe this is like a critical insight that I think a lot of people are missing, that the obsession that a lot of guys, these types of guys have with virgins and young women who are just at legal age, it's not only to do with the need to dominate and the need to control somebody who is not as mature as you are, but it's also done out of personal insecurity. So these guys are of the opinion they believe that if you get the girl before she has anybody else to compare you to then that's your only shot because otherwise you're screwed because there's no way that you could possibly measure up to somebody else that's that's just such an unfortunate way of thinking because it almost i i think maybe it gives people a way to excuse their desire to own women and their desire to dominate and their desire to control because any any it's, people have have said that they would be interested in a history of virginity episode so i'm probably going to try to put something together along those lines but any any discussion of virginity it, it is almost always related to um men's distrust of women and afab people 
or desire to own women and AFAB people or along those lines. But this maybe appeals to young men because especially young men in this generation, they probably don't want to think, oh, I want to own that person. I want to dominate that person. I want to control that person. They know that that's not cool. So, and they also, young people in general tend to have a little bit of main character syndrome. They want to be the hero in their own story who prevails against all odds. So feeling like the world is against them and their chances are limited and they only have one shot to get this right. You can hear the movie music playing in your head. It's what they need to believe in order to continue telling themselves the story that they're telling. And it, it's an excuse that pacifies them and makes them feel better about the much deeper and more toxic reasons for this. And also, you know, you see how it uh, it combines with the quote unquote logic Mm-hmm. idea where women are like, well, this person is better at performing sexually than this person. So I'm going to pick this person right. no matter what. Like, it's, but because that's not of the underlying belief that women are not people with the same kind of thoughts and emotions that men have. Because women are just hyper emotional and controlled by their hormones, says man who put his fist through a plaster wall yesterday. <laughs> Because his sports team lost. Yeah, I'm from Philadelphia. Don't uh, we, the Eagles just lost the Super Bowl? Um, Sorry, I should have put a trigger warning on that. <laughs> TW for Eagles fans, um, or is that wokeism? That's yeah, that's wokeism. No, so now now that you get this mentality, you see where the racism comes in as well. I unfortunately think I do, but would you like to elaborate? So, what is the the prevailing sexual stereotype about black men? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So these white boys get caught up in this way of thinking and they have, this is what I'm saying. It's an excuse for darker and more toxic behavior because they have, now they have a reason to perpetuate old racial stereotypes and old racial fears like the ones that killed Emmett Till. And they also get another reason to think that they will never measure up. And in this case, literally. Exactly. So I'm going to paint for you an allegory of, of two men. This may feel like a non sequitur, but I promise that it's not because uh, we're, go- we're getting to something. But I'm glad that we addressed the purity culture thing. This is, uh, I guess, a separate point. You're kind of braiding threads together, like weaving a tapestry, and I'm really excited to see where you're going with this. That's what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. So I'm going to give you an allegory of two men. So there's two men. They're the same height. They're the same general level of attractiveness. They are wearing or, or identical outfits. They are wearing like the the, the same expensiveness of, of clothes, of jewelry. Uh, they drive the same level of expensiveness of car. Differences. One of these men bought these items new and one of these men bought these items used at a bargain. One of them makes $40,000 a year and one of them makes $400,000 a year. The man who makes $400,000 a year bought this stuff because they were best suited to his needs and desires. The one who makes $40,000 a year bought this stuff because he wanted to look like a guy who makes 10 times as much as he actually makes. Do you think that if you if you saw these two men standing next to each other and you knew one was one and one was the other, and if you had a conversation with both of them, do you think, and, and you didn't talk about anything related to money or background or income or anything like that. Do you think you would be able to tell who is who based entirely on mannerisms? There are definitely exceptions, but I think generally I'd be able to tell who is who. And it's based on a lot of personality factors, like the way someone thinks, the way they speak, the way they carry themselves. It's not an exact science. And right. 
you can always go wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of times I'd be able to to figure it out. This, of course, is an illustration. And not to say uh, uh, one or the other, but you get my point. So, like, the idea that I'm trying to get here is that, say you're the Chad in our entirely fictional, proverbial, virgin Chad dichotomy. You know who you are as a person. You are charismatic. You are a people person. You've Maybe you've had a bit of a leg up in your life. So now you're wealthy, you're successful. You have a wife who you love and you who you find beautiful. You own an expensive car. You have an expensive house, expensive clothing, expensive watches, expensive jewelry, all of that stuff. Now say that you are the virgin in our virgin Chad dichotomy that is entirely fictional. And you are in the video game item gathering mindset and you see the Chad. You see above everything else that the Chad has a beautiful wife or girlfriend or fiance and you see and you think to yourself how do I get beautiful wife or girlfriend like that and then you look at the expensive cars and you look at the expensive house and you look at the expensive clothes and you think to yourself if I had expensive cars house clothes then I would have a woman like that because you believe that all of those things are stepping stones to getting the woman this of course as we've said is not how this actually works so not only is this mindset extremely objectifying and completely erases the idea of the woman's autonomy but it also assumes that she's a gold digger and but it also makes the mistake of confusing correlation with causation because the proverbial chad is successful in life because he knows who he is as a person and has confidence from that because he may have had a leg up in life you never know of course in the virgin chad the virgin chad dichotomy is extremely stupid um, and is entirely fictional and not actually a real life thing. And it only has an effect on your life if you set store by it. But it is to the benefit of many of these manosphere influencers that you do believe in it because they need you to feel insecure and bad about yourself in order to sell you online mentorship courses or to get you to consume their content in order for them to make money. So this almost feels analogous to fundamentalist Christian teachings about sin, the first thing that any soul winner is going to do when they try to witness to you is get you to agree that you are bad. It's the first step in the IFB plan of salvation. You are sinful and therefore you need Jesus, our brand of Jesus. And then once you're deeper into fundamentalism, you are continually finding out about more and more ways that you are bad and sinful and wicked. And to fix that, you need more church. You need to change behaviors. You need to read your Bible more. You need to throw your TV out. You need to burn your pants. You need to burn your CDs. And it just goes on and on and on. And to the point that fundamentalist preachers are coming up with new sins to preach against so that people can continue getting that rush of, I found the solution to everything that's going wrong in my life. And it's the fact that I'm listening to the country music station on the way home from work. And if I just rip the stereo out of my car, not only will I win the adulation of my community and the praise of my leadership, I will also fix everything else that's going on in my life because the reason my life isn't going the way I want it to is that God isn't blessing me because I'm sinning. And this is kind of in my opinion, the space where all the different types of coercive control can come out to play and get tangled up together. Because information control makes you narrow your consumption to only one or a few people and use us versus them in group versus out group thinking. And then that information control leads to thought control and emotion control, making you believe that you are bad or believe that you are unworthy. And then the behavior control can follow as you modify your behavior to try to feel 
less bad or unworthy in the hopes that this modified behavior will fix everything that's wrong with your life. And of course, you've been made to feel like everything is going wrong in your life by the information control and, and all of that. It's where this is this is one of the spaces where they all tend to intersect. Yeah, and that's why I'm glad that we can talk about that on this show with using this the bite model as like the So I know, speaking of the bite model, I know you want to continue on into behavior control and information control. Would you like to go take up the offering and then come back and get into that? That sounds great. Let's do that. All right. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We are back from our break. We are talking about manosphere, manosphere influencers, misogyny, anti-wokeism, all of these things. So in the first half of the episode, we've covered pretty heavily how thought control and emotion control can really factor into this, as well as some levels of information control. I want to pivot now real quick to talk about some of the influencers. Is that cool, Sadie? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there are a few different influencers that are well-known in this space. I'm going to talk about two of the main ones because they're both extremely well-known, um, but they're also very different. And the two that I want to talk about are Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson. Andrew Tate is a former kickboxer and a manosphere influencer who is currently awaiting trial for sex trafficking in Romania. Not a great guy. Jordan Peterson is a Canadian psychology professor who is also a popular conservative media figure. Both of these men sort of bill themselves as these kind of self-help gurus for men. The idea is that if you follow their systems, then you will be successful. While these two men exist sort of on opposite ends of the spectrum, as far as like Peterson is very like he's, he's pseudo intellectual and that's kind of his appeal. While Andrew Tate is very much more of like 
materialistic and hedonistic in appeal, but both of them basically have the same message that um, follow our system and you will be successful because woke culture is coming to destroy masculinity. If you are interested in an extremely detailed history of where the idea that masculinity is being destroyed comes from, the Behind the Bastard series on Andrew Tate, which Gavi already mentioned, goes way, way, the entire first episode barely mentions Andrew Tate. It's completely about where that idea comes from. Uh, I would also like to point out that Tate claims to be a world-class kickboxer, and that is like extremely inflated. Please carry on. <laughs> Behind the Bastards also did a series on uh, on Jordan Peterson. Definitely worth checking out because that dude is a grifter and a half. Man, that, I don't know yeah. that I've heard that one. So that may be you my little weekend treat this weekend. Do you, oh yeah, but you know about Jordan Peterson. Oh yeah, right? I you, absolutely you know who he is. I just don't think I've listened to the whole Behind the Bastard series on him. I would also yeah. like to say I do see um, when people who listen to my show tag Sophie or Robert or whoever to say that I need to be a guest on Behind the Bastards. Um, and I very much appreciate that. I'm just trying to play it cool so they think I'm cool enough to be on their show. I want to get in. So these guys are both influencers. They're like lifestyle influencers, essentially. And I want to get into talking about behavior control because both of them basically are saying, if you act this way, if you do XYZ thing, then in your life, you will be successful. And they're appealing to men that already have this idea in their brain this sort of this the, the mentality that we discussed earlier mm -hmm. so commonality between them they both promote diets based mostly on eating meat being vegetarian or vegan is woke and therefore wrong this is also where the liver king guy comes in i am sure we do not have time to cover him in depth today but oh god that's a fun wild story <laughs> liar um i do have a question though a serious question um, do they hate it. vegetarian or vegan diets only because they perceive that being vegetarian or vegan is woke? I I've always felt like surely there's got to be something more to that. It, it seems so wild to completely change your diet or keep a certain diet because the other option is very vaguely associated with more hippie or progressive folks. Have you ever heard the term soy boy, Sadie? Yeah, that's definitely something I've heard going around. A soy boy is basically any male that is deemed quote unquote unmanly. And it can be inter used interchangeably with the uh the, the the word cuck. Although that's not it's not like 2016 anymore, so you don't hear people calling each other cucks anymore. But the idea comes from is is that a man who uses soy-based meat substitutes rather than than actual meat it's there's some there's some weird nonsensical belief that they have that eating soy makes men grow breasts um there's no actual scientific evidence behind this but they say that if you're a man and you eat soy then it will make you grow breasts i remember that being passed around in fundamentalist circles actually and we were being encouraged to try not to eat soy there is definitely like a fundy, crunchy crossover as illustrated very well by Lester Roloff. And of course, there's uh, also racist connotations to this as well, since Asian countries use soybeans heavily in their cuisine, and this worldview deems Asian men to be unmanly. So Ugh, this is just <laughs> kind of... Okay. If you hate women, you probably are a racist also. It's just like... Yeah, uh, fair enough. But it, it, this is just such a ill-informed worldview like number one you can be vegan and also not eat soy it's 
definitely more difficult, but it's doable. Also, soy is in practically all processed foods, like chips and all of that kind of thing. So these guys probably eat as much of it as the veggies and vegans do. And also the racism. Uh. But that's the thing. It's never about the actual factual nature of the thing. It's about what it stands for. Yeah. Let me just give myself gut issues and incredibly like concrete hard poops for my entire life because I don't eat fiber because if someone saw me eating a vegetable, they might think I was a vegetarian. They might think I don't hate women and minorities enough. Did you know that uh, there was one time when uh, Jordan Peterson was advocating for a beef-only diet? Well, I think, yeah, and I think Joe Rogan also did that or does that. The beef, well, no, like, not like beef, like beef is the main thing, but like literally you only eat beef. I think several people have done a variation of this with different animals and or parts of them. I can't go into this in detail because it, it it's literally the funniest. Shit. Like it's uh, it's truly insane. Ugh, you you get like you literally if you do that you'll get like scurvy. Even IFB science books taught me about scurvy. I'm saying like this it's it's so dumb. Andrew Tate is a guy who Andrew Tate one of his his main grifts is that he has a, a, a he he started Hustlers University which is like an online course a la Bethany Beal that he sold for $50 rather than selling for $2000 so much more of a bargain than Bethany Beal but the idea is that he's teaching men how to have lucrative side hustles in order to buy expensive things that they want so that they will have the power to treat women like absolute garbage and not have any, any repercussions for their action uh, is essentially his his philosophy. And these side hustles could be anything from technical writing to investing in cryptocurrency. He also um, advocated very boring and dumb crimes. In this said business advice, um, like not paying proper, like not paying taxes or not properly registering your business so that you don't have to pay taxes. Also, tricking people, including minors, to work for you under the table for less than minimum wage. And if you're making enough money on your side hustle that you actually have to pay significant taxes, then it's probably a pretty decent side hustle. Yeah, he said don't bother registering your business with the IRS until you know it's going to be profitable, which you will know roughly when you make a million dollars off of it. Which is not mm. remotely how taxes work. That's extremely wrong. You have to register your business. You have to you have to pay taxes and, and report your income if it's more than $600. Yeah, this is more or less how he ended up, the other half of how he ended up in jail. Jordan Peterson, on the other hand, sells many a book. He is quite famous for his teaching about, he's almost like a Dave Ramsey-esque figure. Ugh. For, for But like rather than being like a financial influencer, he's like a lifestyle influencer so he's his his teachings is like it, it's very like basic life skills things that if you do these things then your life will get better and he's famous for teaching about waking up early and cleaning your room and making your bed and it's interesting because many of the things that he advocates for that are just like basic life skill upgrades that any person could probably do and it might improve their lives but like, for instance, one of his tips is don't compare yourself to other people, compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Of course, this goes against the whole like cult mentality of everything that that this mentality is based on. But I think he's selling this, the idea of not comparing yourself to other people, to people who absolutely do and will compare themselves to other people no matter what. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I also see why you compared him to Dave Ramsey, because he's leading with something that, in a simple situation, will actually work. Yes. Like, in a simple situation where a person has a lot of consumer debt and it's from multiple sources, paying off the small ones first so that you're no longer garnering interest on those accounts while you work to pay off the larger accounts works. In an, in a simple situation where there are no complications and things go right and the person is a little bit lucky, waking up in the morning, cleaning your room and making your bed, in a simple situation where the main problems with your life are maybe disorganization and a lack of focus and a lack of drive to make something out of yourself, yeah, that probably will help. It will make a large percentage of people feel better about their lives. Right. Of course, if you weren't comparing yourself to other people then you probably wouldn't be insecure enough to be consuming Jordan Peterson's content to begin with. And the other thing is like, if if he leads with something reasonable, then if I come out and say, yeah, Jordan Peterson's a grifter, then people are going to be like, what do you think I should have a messy room? And I'm just like, (laughs) no, you know, like it, it, it gives you a very easy straw man. I mean, like I think of it the same way that I think of like MLM behavior control. If an MLM is telling you to try to have a can-do attitude and mindset, sort of you know, problem-solving rather than failure, that's objectively, obviously, that's not a terrible tip, but it's what comes with it. It's a sense of identity that you are a person who does X thing. So if you are a person who cleans your room every morning and that becomes part of your identity, but also what becomes part of your identity is the very reactionary views towards women, transgender people you know, uh, uh, racism, society, economics, conservative, general stuff also becomes part of your identity as well. So it's it's very sneaky. I'm going to have to do an extended disclaimer on this. In my opinion, hustle culture is highly problematic on a lot of levels, uh, and it's attempting to teach people to game the financial system that is not built to benefit you rather than making a system that is that is more beneficial for everybody self-improvement on the other hand is great and that's something i'm extremely interested in because i'm a person with very limited time so organization hacks and schedule hacks and optimizing my time all things that i absolutely want to do i think it's so easily taken too far to the point where people are constantly working all of the time or constantly hustling or trying to do self-improvement all of the time they don't rest they burn out, they are miserable. With that disclaimer, most people, I believe, want to feel more confident, more organized, more on top of things, and like they have more time in their day. Most people want that. So when you lead with that and get people into objectively good habits, like making their bed and starting the morning with a clean space, and then you drop the misogyny, the transphobia, the homophobia on top of them, you've already got them trusting your advice and believing in you because of the good thing that you led with, and they're more likely to buy into those other ideas as well. And I really hate that. That's exactly it, though. I think that this is a good way to show that whether or not the behavior itself is harmful, it can still be a pathway into harmful beliefs and cult-like thinking. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the IFB tells you not to drink alcohol, and most a, a lot of people would be objectively healthier if they didn't drink alcohol. But true. but that can be a pathway into cult-like thinking. World's quickest sidebar here. This is a great example of how much of 
transphobia is rooted in misogyny, especially transphobia portrayed by cis men. So if you are a man who perceives being a woman as inherently worse or inherently less human somehow than being a man, another AMAB person realizes that she is in fact a woman, she decides to transition, you may see her as a traitor to masculinity because she is choosing the inherently worse choice and rejecting the inherently better choice in your mindset. This kind of transphobia doesn't exist without misogyny, and this is one of the biggest reasons that TERFs are awful, because they are claiming to uphold and support women while they are also upholding systems of patriarchy and misogyny. Dude, you know how much fucking memes I see on the internet where like she, she, where men are like terrified that they will be labeled a bigot because they don't want to date or have sex with trans women. Like I see this meme all the time that says I will be like a, a you know the Wojak memes will be like rainbow hair trans woman being like you have to date me because I am a woman and then the man will be like no and it'll be like you're a bigot. I'm just like who the f- Well, it's it's a red herring. <laughs> Like you can get, you know, I don't get into Twitter fights about genital preference or anything like that, but that kind of memification of it is a red herring because what it is, what it is trying to convey is, oh, the wokes are out to get you. We had such an interesting conversation back in the fall when we talked about how information control functions in cults of personality because the strict actual enforcement of don't read this book or don't watch this TV show isn't there in the same way, especially when we're talking about digital or virtual cults of personality. The kind of living situation a cult recommends or enforces has a lot of bearing on the types of information control it practices. So like if you're you know living on a compound and the cult leader says, we're not going to have the newspaper here, then it's going to be very difficult for you to read the newspaper. If you're in the IFB, you can get a hold of a newspaper, but you have to not be seen reading it. In these cults of personality, there's very little enforcement at all. It's all internal. So I'm really interested to hear about information control in the manosphere and how that functions. So information control is an interesting one because it is so intrinsic to these ideas. So I'm sure that we're all used to the way that the culture war reacts to anything that is deemed woke be it, and I use the biggest air quotes in the world when I use the word woke, it's, Um, be it a movie, a TV show, a video game, a book, a film, like, or, or maybe like a TV adaptation of a beloved text that features maybe non-white actors or, or queer people or, or a character who, you know, maybe doesn't have that written explicitly about them, but then you know, whoever produced mm-hmm. the show is like, well, maybe this character is queer in our adaptation of it. That would be interesting. Let's do that. That's woke. That's 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 woke. You can't do it. You, you can't watch that. You can't listen to that. You can't. You, that's got to be avoided. So I'm wondering if the enforcement of information control in the manosphere is very similar to the IFB, actually, the more you talk about it. So if I can so give you like a hypothetical. That. Okay. So the IFB said, don't read the, the the Da Vinci Code because it's heretical. So let's say hypothetically, an IFB married adult person really wanted to read 
the Da Vinci Code. So they go a town over, they pick it up at a Walmart self-checkout, nobody sees them buy it, they take it home. Now this book has been preached against from the pulpit at their church, so they don't want their kids to see them reading it because that would be a bad example. And depending on how much they trust their spouse, they may not even want their spouse to see them reading it because they may feel that their spouse would judge them or have an unspoken prayer request for them. Maybe they feel really guilty after they read it. Maybe they even feel like they have to repent of reading it. Maybe they apply the IFB ways of thinking to defeat any quote-unquote sinful ideas that the book brought up for them. But ultimately, they wanted to read the Da Vinci Code, so they read it. They just can't mention that they read it. They can't let anybody find out that they read it. And if anybody does find out that they read it, this person has to say, they have to have an excuse ready to go. Like, I was just reading it to know what Satan is trying to lie to people about. So applying that to these Manosphere people, the influencers say, don't watch Rings of Power. It's just wokeness because they have diverse actors. But some guy who watches these Manosphere influencers really wants to see Rings of Power. So he watches it. He uses the Manosphere thought stopping cliches to interpret what he saw. Maybe he feels a little guilty. Maybe he feels like he's betrayed these influencers that he really looks up to by contributing to the streams and the profit. But as long as he doesn't expose online in his digital community that he watched it, he's going to get away with it. And then if he did somehow let it slip that he did watch it, he could have an excuse ready. Like, I'm just watching it to see how the wokes are ruining things. And he would get away with it. Am I getting that right? Maybe. I think that there isn't so much a thing of you absolutely can't watch this. Because in the IFB, there would be the belief that if you watch this thing, the demons might come out of it and get into your brain and possess you, mm-hmm. um, In it, depending on what camp of the IFB you are. But in this sort of reactionary online space what you would see is you would see people saying yeah i watched this show i thought it was because there it was just the same sjw garbage and it was the same woke nonsense that they're trying to shoehorn into this thing and it's it's all got this agenda in it and they can't just make uh, uh, uh movies and tv without an agenda anymore and that's so sick and it's so annoying like that's what you would say about it so the information control takes mostly the form of thought stopping cliches is what you're saying or they might they might say okay they're we're trying to boycott it and in that case it's i mean it's basically cancel culture except they're doing it right wing so it's not cancel culture i think what's also great is being able to nail down the exact methods of information control that are used by a cult or by a cult-like group. Because like I was saying a minute ago, a cult that lives on a compound and forbids pieces of printed material or has a blocker on their internet so that you cannot access most sites practices information control. And a cult that lives out in the regular world but discourages watching certain TV or praises you for throwing out your television and they discourage you from reading certain books, and they promote us versus them thinking, black and white thinking, that cult also practices information control. But the enforcement looks vastly different. We recorded this episode on two different days, so this is our second day of recording for this episode, and literally between the last time we were in the studio and now, I got a targeted ad on Facebook for these razors. Um, So, and then I had to 
do a bunch of research about what the heck this is. This is fantastic. I get these ads all the time. I tell like say I get these ads and I usually screenshot these types of ads and send them to the group chat I have with Sadie and Dinah Housefire. Yeah, but- the, that group chat <laughs> thrives on weird targeted ads. Um so I <laughs> So y'all probably are aware of like Harry's Razor Company or um what's the other one? Anyway, subscription companies that send you fresh razors dollar shave club dollar shave club um they send you fresh razors at in regular intervals it's a, a subscription model apparently harry's razors did something that people considered woke and a lot of these guys canceled their membership to harry's razors because of the wokeness so the daily <laughs> wire matt walsh's company started their own razor company so that their followers would not have to buy woke razors <laughs> um this is 100 percent what happened i'm not making this up um so this company uh-huh. the ad that the first ad that i got said i'm just gonna read you the copy should a razor company force political opinions on you we don't think so we designed our own razor without the politics Get 30% off your razor purchase so you can kick woke companies out of your bathroom. This is a company that started by the Daily Wire. So what they're saying, like, we're, the, we're not political. We're right. anti- like, what, what are they? Like, that's the thing is that they always say, I don't want politics in this thing. But all the people who are like, I don't want politics is basically they like see whatever their politics are as like the neutral Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, which is pretty neutral- ludicrous when we're talking about Matt Walsh and the Daily Wire. They they see their their politics as the default. Right. So anything that's to the left of them is the woke mob, and anything that's to the right of them is okay. Well, they're the actual crazy people. Right. So I clicked on this ad, and so I clicked on this ad because obviously I wanted to know what the heck this was and why they were targeting advertising to me. And because I clicked on the ad, I received several more ads for the same company. One of them was like a full, well-produced one or two minute commercial video for this company. And the really interesting thing in that video was one line really stuck out to me, which was, don't buy your razors from people that hate you. And I thought that was so relevant to what you were talking about earlier about the wokes are out to get you, that they don't like you, they want to exterminate people like you from this earth and make everybody like them. I thought that was such a bold claim (laughs) and such an obvious manipulation of the truth to sell a razor subscription during the research to this episode i scoured the internet for many uh um self-described incels who, who were posting on reddit and other various forums and one of the things that i came across was there is an idea within men of this ilk that to be a cisgendered white man is equivalent to having a disability in that they believe that they are so discriminated against that w- within you know employment or with getting into schools that they want to get into or with dating that they believe that they will uh, that that it's like legitimately having a disability and that that's the equivalent hmm. like it's 
utter brainworms. Truly insane to think about. But there's a second side of this that's related to this that I don't. I we've t- discussed it before, but I don't think that we've really touched on it in great detail. Um, and that is definitely related to what what you were just talking about. But it's the accusations of virtue signaling. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, um, I definitely want to hear you get into it, though. Essentially, what this amounts to is that there is an extremely cynical belief that permeates reactionary cult. This belief is that people who loudly and proudly support quote-unquote woke causes, be they LGBTQ rights, Black Lives Matter, or uh, uh, Ukraine, uh, for instance, aren't they aren't supporting these causes because they actually care about those communities, about those causes. They're only supporting them because they are selfish and they want to gain social capital that they gain after they they are seen supporting those causes. So what this theory does essentially is reduce movements and activism down to the most performative aspects and then completely ignores the more effective and tangible aspects of those of, of those causes of that activism. I think a good example of this is accusations that are hurled against athletes who, you know, say they would take a knee prior to uh, uh, sporting events uh, in, in support of civil rights. Now, as I've said before, this is a very cynical belief, but it serves a different purpose. Basically, it, sh- it shifts the conversation from is this issue right or is this issue wrong? Is this something that we need to change or is there is everything fine? And it shifts it from that conversation to are your personal motivations for supporting this cause legitimate? And if it's a professional athlete, you can be, you know, a broke white basement gremlin and look at that pro athlete and say, how dare Colin Kaepernick or Serena Williams or Lewis Hamilton complain about anything. They're all millionaires. They're better off than I am. Life's been good to them. What do they have to complain about? The more insidious side of this, I think, is people intentionally operating in bad faith. So it's, I can't stand against this woke cause because the cause itself is inherently good. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to attack the people that stand against it for being sheep or for being insecure, or for being selfish. And there's not really anything that you can do to argue against that point or that opinion, that that, that accusation that somebody could lob against somebody else, uh, against somebody who's standing up for one of these causes, because you can't definitively say what's in somebody's head, especially if it's like a celebrity, because you could just be like, oh, this celebrity is stupid and spoiled and they're selfish, and what do they have to say about this? They don't know anything. From the small amount of this that I've seen, this kind of comes out as, yeah, I'm not a racist, but all of these but. athletes taking, right, but all of these athletes taking a knee for the national anthem are just pandering to the woke agenda, man. So, like, being reactionary to the cause is too hot for them to handle. So, they're being reactionary to the people supporting the cause and the ways in which they are supporting it and the ways in which their motives might or might not be pure. Yeah, and they're or they're just like, oh, they're taking it. Well, what does taking a knee actually do? Like, uh, that was the most like literally kill me now discourse that I, I remember. Because I mean, on one hand, there's definitely something to be said about corporations who will put up the rainbow logos during Pride Month and then turn around and donate money to anti like LGBT politicians because they give them tax breaks. But this is just taking that same cynicism and legitimate criticism and applying it blanketly, like almost in like a concern trolling manner. This is just out of personal experience. I've been accused of virtue signaling because I'm on this podcast and and 
on this show, we go out of our way to make sure that everybody listening to the show knows that we affirm queer people and that, um, you know, I've been told that I should like stop pretending or whatever. And I've been, you know, called a pick me or, or been told that I'm less of a man because of it. Of course, these accusations have not come from anybody whose opinion I find the least bit valuable. Uh, but these things have been said to me. I didn't even know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've gotten that. It's, it's, um, it's, it's not worth worrying about. Uh, and nobody who really would say that sort of thing to me is really somebody who I would ever consider as a person who I should listen to, to begin with. So, do you see how this mindset, though, how it basically creates the self-brainwashing and information control? It engages the thought-stopping cliche, where you see an argument that makes sense, that is well-reasoned, and that is based on evidence, and you can say, well, the person making that argument doesn't actually believe it. They're making it to look good in front of their friends or to gain followers on social media or to protect themselves against accusations of racism or sexism or homophobia or, or, or transphobia that they would otherwise automatically get just for existing as a heterosexual cis white man in these times that we live in. And then bam, you know, now you're the real victim again. Yeah. Ta-da. Like, <laughs> It's a magic trick. You know, you just, no matter what you do, you can just make yourself into the victim no matter what. I absolutely see that. And I think that one thing that we're seeing here is something that people, I feel that people continually miss when we talk about cults in general. And that's humans' innate need to fit in. Humans everywhere, all types of humans, seek out ways to fit in with a group. Us versus them thinking is unfortunately kind of hardwired into the human brain. And that's why it takes practice to not engage in us versus them thinking in daily life. So these men feel that they have found a place where they fit in. And what's more insidious, the people that they're listening to tell them, you do not fit in in the world anymore. The world is not only not made for you anymore, but it is made to kick you out. It is made to isolate you. But we are a group of men where you can fit in. And it preys on that basic human need to feel belonging. The thing about cults is that you can exhibit behavior control and information control by force. You can physically force or threaten someone to behave a certain way. You can physically restrict someone's information access. You can do those things to another person. You can also exert behavior control and information control over someone without force by your influence or by planting a train of thought in their head and causing them to believe it and then they will control their own behavior and control their own information. What you cannot accomplish by force is causing someone to think a certain way or feel certain emotions or edit and change their own emotions. You can heavily influence a person to think a certain way or feel certain emotions, but that is not something that it is possible to accomplish by physical force. And that's why I tend to lean so heavily on thought control and emotion control when I evaluate cults and cult-like groups, because getting someone under the influence of thought control and emotion control is kind of like trying to get bacteria to grow in a petri dish. So you can provide a great environment for bacteria to grow, the right temperature, the right amount of light, something for them to feed on, 
You can even introduce bacteria into that Petri dish, but you don't make it grow. That growth happens organically. So in a cult, if cult leaders want to exert thought control and emotion control, what they're doing is they're creating a conducive environment for a person to self-brainwash, introducing that germ and letting it grow. That was a fantastic metaphor, by the way. I really love your extended metaphor. It's been a while since I did a metaphor. I didn't want to leave the audience disappointed. (laughs) Dude, Sadie's extended metaphors are like, it's like a fine wine. Can we do do a whole section of our reels where it's just my extended metaphors? Yes, but then you have to go back, go back and find me like the timestamps okay. of Sadie's extended metaphors, and then I'll I'll put them all together. One of the other uh, critical ways in which information control is enacted is by causing men who buy into this stuff um, to intentionally or or maybe unintentionally alienate themselves from the women in their lives. Like I'm not going to get into the men going their own way thing because that's extremely niche and also very weird but i would that's that's like its own separate thing that's like beyond this do you know about this sadie yeah yeah that, i'm yeah i'm not going to go into that it's it's wild but as we've discussed earlier the mindset involved with these beliefs leads to some misogynistic of course and frankly pretty creepy attitudes toward women femme people afab people what have you and i think uh our show uh, i think a large majority of our audience is uh is female and they know that when you interact with a guy and you find out that he believes some of these things or if he has really creepy beliefs you know you're naturally going to want to distance yourself from that guy but additionally the extreme focus of sex, uh, focus on sex, the objectification and commodification of women, um, is going to influence these men to feel that the only worthwhile relationship that they could ever have with a woman is a sexual one. They will then self-isolate and make their social circle almost entirely male, mostly people like themselves, where they can like exist and where they can be comfortable speaking and acting as they do without being judged for it and without you know having somebody who's going to break that feedback loop and say hey these things that you're that you're thinking that you're saying aren't okay i mean say you're you're married um yes. and you're, you're not dating anymore of course correct but well not of course poly people exist i'm just happen to be monogamously married if you were gonna go out with a guy and you found out that he had no female friends that would be a red flag right yeah, absolutely. If I feel like if a man can't have you know, different people interact with other people differently. I spent a lot of my life having a lot of male or masculine friends, and it's only recently that I've had more feminine friends in my life. But I do feel that if a man can't have one single female or feminine acquaintance, like not even like his friends' wives, friends' girlfriends, it is a sign that he's objectified every single AFAB person right out of his life before I ever showed up. That or he's such a raging misogynist that he doesn't think women are worth being friends with if he's not going to be able to have sex with them. Yeah. I mean, I won't be friends with dudes who don't have female friends, not including like girlfriends uh, or, or partners of their friends. Like, I will include friends, girlfriends, partners, wives, whoever, if those people have individual friendships with said guy outside of like 
oh, he's my boyfriend's partner's husband's whatever friend. Like, if this guy's friend's girlfriend is clearly happy to see him and can have a complete conversation with him and, like, has his phone number and it wouldn't be weird if she texted him a meme, but they only met because she's dating his bro dude, that's still fine. If he quits talking to the girlfriend slash partner slash wife when the guy friend leaves the table, that doesn't count. I, I, I see you there. So think back to what I said about the idea of logic. And I think logic ties in really well with what you were saying about the Petri dish thing and how everything is some weird, perverted, sexual, social economics, like the economics of sexuality in, in just a really weird and, and bizarre, twisted way. These men are nostalgic for a time when professional spaces or creative spaces were almost exclusively male so that so so they've essentially replicated that in their own lives and you're likely to see them have meltdowns when media be it you know tv or or movies or video games doesn't reflect their lives anymore and they'll call it like unrealistic or whatever like you you see those comments all the time i don't know i think it's a tiny bit funny to see men with the emotional intelligence of a rock complaining that a TV character's emotional motivations are unrealistic. And it always just so happens that the character who is quote unquote unrealistic or doesn't have understandable motivations, which is always the criticism that they use, is always the character who isn't a cis white male. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, right? there might be a reason that you don't understand yeah. this person's motivations. <laughs> Also, people have diverse motivations. Sometimes people do things for reasons that don't make sense to me, but make perfect sense to them. Because I'm aware that other people exist and I don't need to make some kind of complicated moral or political judgment on somebody because they did something for a reason that I find weird and odd. But in like a darker sense, it's the same sort of thing where they want women to be paid less money in order to make it an economic necessity for them to have to find a man, creating a economic demand for any man, even one so pathetic as the man who would think this. And this is like one of the few times when there is a quiet part that they won't say out loud. Because remember what I said, they see almost all relationships as transactional. So this is where like, you see that the thought control is trickling down into the information control. So the thing about this being an example of information control is such an interesting point, and I'm really glad you made it. Because, of course, if you were conditioned to not listen to the thoughts or feelings or needs or humanity of an entire half of the human population, of course that's information control. Of course you're going to miss things that you need to know. So like quick, quick CW for menstruation. But this is how we get dudes who think that period cramps can't be debilitating. This is how we get dudes who think that people who get periods bleed for like an hour or like four hours or whatever other bullshit. That, or like they think that every person who gets a period gets it on the full moon because that's how it works. <laughs> this is how we get dudes who think that triple these, D. Huh? Have you encountered all of these in real life? On the internet, but yes. <laughs> and some of them in real life. Um, this Ugh. one I've definitely encountered in real life. Uh, dudes who think that triple D is the biggest bra size and they don't come any bigger than that. And like human boobs cannot be bigger than that. Unless There's they're, a limit. Unless they're like augmented with surgery. <laughs> definitely not true. This is how we get dudes. It's like, like a hard tap. Right. <laughs> on boob size. What the f 
There are that one I have absolutely encountered in the wild. Like both men who think that bras do not get made in anything bigger than a triple D, which is not even what you think it is because there are band sizes too, bro. And like I've seen men call women liars because the woman wearing a bra was like, "Yeah, I'm a 32G." Is this in or out of the IFB? Is this? Oh no, you don't talk about boobs in the IFB. What the? Fu- where? Where are you finding these men? Sadie? Bars in Portland. <laughs> yeah, but this is how we get dudes with like wild oh. misconceptions about birth or wild misconceptions about the uterus end of conceiving a child. Like I could go on and on and on. I could give you a hundred more examples, but I think you get the picture. These are things that adult humans ought to be, like, generally, basically aware of. Like, whether you're a person who gets periods or someone who does not, you you should have, like, a basic idea of the mechanics of that. What's funny to me is that these same guys that don't know this stuff are also the guys that will write literal paragraphs on the internet about how that movie had a gun in it that wasn't invented until three years after the year in which the movie was set and then just go about their lives without basic knowledge of how half the human population right and by the way it's always a fact about a gun like uh, about like a historical like they care about history but they only care about military history you know (laughs) (laughs) which to me is like Uh, the most boring part of history yeah they fought some people died and there was a a a great man who said a quote that you post on reddit or something and wow that was badass or that was brutal just like off like well the thing is that all of this it goes back to the objectification and the straight up dehumanization of women and afab people these men and this is something i've encountered so many times and it makes my blood boil these this subset of men think that women are such simple creatures that not only do they know everything that there is to know about women as a whole, as a subset of humanity, but they also think that that information that they supposedly know about all women is sufficient to know everything that they need to know about every individual woman in the world. All women are the same. All women are simple. And I have been treated like a simple creature by so many of these men. And it f***ing pisses me off. And it took me so many years to learn that my thoughts, my emotions, my inner life, my ability to use logic and reason, my likes, my dislikes, my hobbies, my interests were just as real human varied as any man. And I think this is why so much Christian marriage advice pisses me off too. Because when you reduce marriage advice or sex advice into statements like women want X or men need Y, you erase everyone's humanity and individuality. That's a very good point that you've made. And I'm glad you made it because there are very real parallels here. Well, there's a much quoted quote by Marie Scheer. Feminism is the radical notion that women are people. And it's said so often. I say that I use that quote so often. But this kind of thinking that we're talking about in this episode cheapens the humanity and the beautiful originality of all people and especially women. 
I love humans, humanity, the weird things that we do as a whole, the social customs that we do within our groups. But the only thing that I love more than the things that all people do is the amer- amazing variation in like likes and dislikes and preferences and foods that we eat and things that we wear. The ways that we express our identity in a world that seems built for homogeneity. I think that's why this feels so deeply personal to me, because this kind of thinking erases that and puts us into two groups, men and women, that's it. And it's such a shame. So one thing I'm really curious about to change the topic is how people get recruited into this. I think you did a great job of explaining the psychological forces that might be at work and the different types of control that can be exerted, but do you have any insight on the mechanisms of how people find this and how people go down the rabbit hole? I'm glad that you asked this because there are a lot of different ways that I've seen, but there are a lot of similarities between the ways. I think One thing I want to reiterate is that many of these guys themselves aren't stupid, but they're ignorant. And it's important to know the difference between stupidity and ignorance. These men often have good critical thinking skills. In fact, this brainwashing, as Sadie said, it relies, like with with the Petri dish metaphor that she made so wonderfully, it relies on hijacking those critical thinking skills in order to, to make the brainwashing work in order for that germ to grow in the Petri dish. One way that I've seen, and I, I have basically three hypothetical scenarios of here that that I've I've sort of written down. Okay. Say you are one of the hypothetical men that we discussed earlier in the episode. You are in high school. You are socially awkward. Your grades aren't amazing, but you love like history class. You've never been like killer at sports. You know, you like video games, you like music, you're a normal teenage boy. You've got a crush, but she doesn't like you or you feel too awkward to talk to her about it. Um and you aren't that emotionally developed and neither are your friends. And so you don't feel like talking to them about these things. Or if you do, you know, maybe they roast you a little bit and you, and you laugh it off, but it still hurts. They have your, your friends all have better luck with girls than you do. And you don't get how they do it. You don't really have a roadmap for this stuff, but you feel like you're playing a game that everybody else knows the rules to except for you. And so you go on the internet and you Google, how do I get girls to like me? Or why don't girls like me? And maybe you get a page that tells you some useless tips like talk to her and see if you have similar interests. So, so does this character sound relatable? To me, this sounds like at least 50% of all teenage boys. So I feel this character is extremely relatable because I literally just described myself at 15 years old. And I know that we have uh, a couple of listeners who knew me then, and they will tell you that that is 100% me at 15 years old. So much of this manosphere content that we're talking about today, that didn't really exist in 2008 when I was 15. And the idea of influencers and, and podcasts, they, they were, that wasn't really as much of a thing back then. But if you fast forwarded 10 years, 15, like say I'm 15 years old in 2018 instead of 2008. If I'd found some guy on the internet saying everything you want in the world, money, success, girls, sex, respect, that can all be yours if you 
wake up at 5 a.m. every day, eat only meat, lift weights, clean your room, study classic literature, reject feminism, and the feminized version of yourself that has been created by the feminized world. Like, I honestly, I don't know how well I'd have been able to resist that pitch because like the IFB or the IBLP or, or any other cult, it gives you a roadmap and says, if you do XYZ thing, then you will get XYZ result. See, everybody wants that roadmap. It's another thing like everybody wants to feel like they belong to something. And cults give you those two things. Generally, they give you the feeling that you belong to something and they give you the feeling that you have a roadmap. Even things that are not inherently culty, like non-culty fitness influencers. We are going to talk about the culty ones probably sooner rather than later. Oh, I can't wait. But even like non-culty fitness influencers might say something like calories in, calories out. And that's a kind of a thought-stopping cliche. That's a calories in, calories out works for a huge percentage of people, but not everyone. There are a lot of medical reasons that calories in, calories out is not always the answer for people who do want to lose weight. Because everyone wants to have their issues simplified to do this thing and it will work out for you. And people have had to really work to overcome the urge to look for a simple answer like that. It's kind of a basic human thing to be drawn to that kind of sen- that kind of statement. Follow my workout plan and you'll look like me. Use the skincare and you'll have nice skin. Follow the rules of the IBLP and you'll have a perfect family. Follow purity culture and God will give you amazing married sex. It's all the same line and it's preying on a basic human desire. It's just that some of these people use that line to foster not only behavior control or behavior influence, but also information control, thought control, and emotion control, which lead to self-brainwashing, which is what we call a cult. Exactly. And I think that cults are more popular in economically difficult times because there are more people who feel like they need the roadmap. I mean, apply the same logic to social politics or gender politics, because we live in a time now when gender politics are much more complicated and much more nuanced than they were 10 years ago. And like the mainstream acknowledgement of transgender people or or different non-binary genders has become much more prevalent and and has improved greatly over the past 10 years but that's also complicated to learn and complicated to figure out and if you're not raised around people who talk about it and and talk like that and you're just like a cis straight dude then there's a chance that you feel like you're being required to learn a bunch of stuff that doesn't apply to you or is useful to you And it could almost feel like you're taking a class in a subject that you're not interested in, and then you get the answers wrong on every test, and the consequences for you getting the answers wrong is that people think you're a bigot. And that is one way that this thinking can really infect people. So maybe you're a teenager, and that's how you're going to get got. But I'm going to move on to talk about how maybe you'd get got if you were a young adult like a college student. So preface for this, Sadie, we've all of us, every single person, probably you, me, anyone listening to the show, we've all been called out at one point for saying something offensive or or racist or homophobic, transphobic, sexist, what have you. It's happened to everybody. 
because those isms are so prevalent in society that we are all going to make mistakes even without knowing that we said something offensive, racist, homophobic, what have you. Even the people who are aware and trying and making a genuine effort, are, we're gonna occasionally mess up and be corrected and then have to deal with our own egos and learn how to do better. So here's another question for you then. Do you feel like 100% of every single thing that you've ever been called out for was warranted? No. Um, a lot of times I see immediately, oh, the, whoa, that's where I f***ed up. I'm sorry. I'll, I will do better. That won't happen again. Sometimes I don't see it immediately, but I hold on to whatever criticism I receive because I might see where I f***ed up later on down the road. Every once in a while, I really disagree. So this is the case with a lot of college students who are going into universities um, and, and studying these sociological topics and learning about power structures for the first time, they feel empowered to call it out where they see it. That That's usually a good thing. I don't want to make it seem like I'm, I'm disparaging this at all. The backside of the other side of this coin is that sometimes if you're a hammer, then everything else looks like a nail. Um, and you can kind of get into that mentality. So say you're a 19-year-old college freshman and you grew up watching South Park and Dave Chappelle comedy. And you've been playing Call of Duty online for years. And you're used to people using offensive language or even racist language. And you might even find that kind of humor funny. You say you make an admittedly offensive joke in mixed company and one of your classmates you know like your non-binary classmate skylar with the buzz cut and the septum piercing anyway skylar doesn't like the joke and they tell you that they don't like it and then they tell some of your friends some of their friends that you made it and since you've got a small social circle this issue feels a lot bigger than it is and there probably aren't any real repercussions for it but you need to figure out a way to defend yourself from the real or imaginary social consequences of your offensive language so you need to armor yourself up against these accusations obviously skylar is a weirdo skylar is the one who has issues not you clearly they have issues because they're non-binary um right. that's not a normal thing <laughs> Right. <laughs> they okay. take things way too far. So you start fictionalizing what happened in your head in order to make yourself into the victim. You start seeing fictional and, and melodramatic memes that people are making on the internet about how you will get thrown out of school if you misgender somebody by accident and how unfair that is and how you're either forced to get in line or suffer the consequences. You're 19 years old, you don't have the emotional intelligence to really think about, you know, like ask, why might this thing have that I've said been offensive? You only think racists, sexists, that's what the bad people are. I'm not bad, so I can't be one of those. Well, there's a whole online community that is built around telling you that you've done nothing wrong and that you're the real victim here. So you go on Instagram or, or Twitter or TikTok and, and, and write about how you're being policed by the people and how unfair that is. And now everybody that you know, not just from college, but you know your mom, 
your sister, her friend, your classmates from high school, they're all out here calling you a bigot and an idiot. Does this character sound relatable to you, Sadie? Yeah, absolutely. I'm also thinking about like the the fictional character Skylar in this situation. They were totally correct to have an issue with the dumb and offensive joke that you made. But also, if they are also 19, the way that they came at you about this joke was probably not a fully matured response. So now you've got two people who are just not quite used to having nuanced adult conversations yet. The way that they came at you, they were right to come at you for that awful joke that you made. But the way they came at you could have been pretty aggressive. So now you're reacting to that instead of responding to their very valid criticism of your offensive joke. There are, there, it makes so much sense how this situation could play out in real life. Right. And this is like a, a, a fictional scenario, but this is a definitely like a, a real scenario that I'm sure has happened to real people. The reason why I say this is because this could have been me at 19 years old. This, I don't think anything like this actually happened to me when I was a teenager, when I was in college. I think the thing that kept this from being me was one, that not enough people were paying attention to me or the things that I was saying or said during this time on social media for me to really suffer any consequences for saying something stupid or offensive. And also, I had enough close female friends that could talk to me about these things in private and maybe tell me to soften my tone a little bit and and maybe think about mm-hmm. the language that I was using a little bit. Um, like if I'd say something, you know, they but like you know that could have easily happened to me if I like told a joke from South Park that I thought was a riot but was actually like an AIDS joke or something, which is like mm-hmm. not really a good thing that you want to joke about. And it's not really something to make fun of. But somebody, so you had primarily women in your life who were willing to do free emotional labor because they cared about you. It's not, it's not like, oh, because they were put upon by the patriarchy necessarily. Um, It could just be because they cared and because they willingly gave you that gift of their time and emotions to help you soften their tone. But somebody right, who doesn't- that benefits everybody. Right. And they chose to, I, I think sometimes when we talk about emotional labor, we assume that it's only because women are put upon by the patriarchy. And I think sometimes it's also appropriate to think of it as a gift uh, that they consensually chose to give you that labor and to work you, walk you through these things. Well, you know, we all have friends who say things or do things that we're like, I wouldn't have said or done that. And then we could have a conversation about that. Personally, I, you know, if that sort of thing happens with me, I wouldn't even necessarily think of that as labor. I would just think of that as just like, you know, these are the kinds of conversations that you have with your friends. If you're emotionally open with your friends and you, you know, and you talk to them about your, what you're thinking and you really know how to talk through these things. And I don't even necessarily think of that as labor. I definitely get where you're coming from. Uh, Like as a feminine person, that sort of thing is expected of us in a way that it isn't of you. And it can start to to weigh on a person when it's just something that you're expected to do and you don't feel like you have a choice. But that's why but that's why I think everybody should be doing that, which takes away the gendered aspect of it. And that's on feminism. Well, I try to do that for friends of mine in in my life as well. And I I really, I feel like it's a responsibility to, you know, if if I'm friends with somebody and they're going through something difficult, then I I do feel like I do have that responsibility. And if we all took responsibility for each other, that would be great. It would be a wonderful world that we would live in. 
But somebody who doesn't have that support that you were talking about, all this support that you had, somebody who doesn't have that support might instead find support in these Manosphere influencers and the hordes of young men who find them. And all of a sudden, a vague misunderstanding of non-binary people, which most cis people have probably had at some point in their lives, and an offensive joke, which most of us have told and regretted in our past at some point, that snowballs really quickly into being offensive on purpose and into a lifestyle built around this pretend oppression that has been sold to them by these influencers. Yeah. The, oh, I'm being offensive on purpose to trigger the SJ. That's just, my God, just get over yourself, man. So I've got one last scenario that I've seen. Um that at least I want to talk about. Say you are 23 years old and you have graduated from college. Maybe you didn't go to college or maybe you're like in a trade or something. You're not making that much money, but you know, you're into cars, you're into fashion, you're into gaming, you like watches, you like music. You want nice things for yourself because you work hard, you deserve them, but you don't have enough money. So maybe you live with your parents, maybe you have roommates. You're trying to date, but that's difficult. So you don't have issues meeting women, but maybe you maybe you want a real relationship and you're having trouble finding somebody who likes you enough or or you like enough that is serious about you. And you're feeling personally just unmotivated and you lack the level of confidence that comes with the status of knowing the direction that your life is headed. The biggest issue for you right now is that you don't feel like you are adequately compensated for the work that you're putting in. So you go on the internet and you try to research some good ways to make money on the side, try to figure out some side hustles. And what everybody is talking about is two things. Number one, real estate investment. Number two, cryptocurrency. So you go and you watch some YouTube videos and there are guys on YouTube who are 23, 24, 25 years old, and they tell you, I make $9,000 a month on some combination of real estate and cryptocurrency. So you start following these guys to try to get yourself set up, to try to get their tips and see how you can you know, get on that level yourself. These guys don't talk about politics. They don't talk about any of that stuff because they, want, they don't want to alienate potential viewers. But do you know what starts popping up on your YouTube recommendations now? Or, or coming up in your TikTok al algorithm is some video podcast where they talk about extreme misogyny or, or fear-mongering about transgender people ruining masculinity or, or being predators. And a system of belief that claims if you buy in, claims that it will fix all of the problems that you're facing. So think about what I said earlier. You know, Andrew Tate's like Hustler Academy, they were teaching about cryptocurrency and real estate and, and tax fraud as well. And so the algorithm understands that there's a connection between guys who are into real estate and crypto and guys who want to be spoon fed like a dog ideology about how traditional masculinity is under threat. Now, if you're into one, then the algorithm is going to make that connection and recommend you propaganda about the other one. The same algorithm that's going to recommend you know, our podcast to anybody who listens to Preacher Boys or, or Surviving Sister Wives or whatever is going to say, you're interested in becoming a slumlord. Have you considered the idea that women aren't people? Right. So does this, like, does this character seem relatable to you? Yeah, definitely. This this one that that isn't me at twenty three, but you and I worked with guys like this when we were working at the car dealership. You know, just like regular working class guys in their twenties, just trying to you know get a leg up in the world. Mm -hmm. And when I think of myself at this age and what would have kept me out of this trap, 
I think at like 23 or 24, crypto and, and real estate investing weren't quite so predominantly being pitched as passive income streams to young people. And second, at that age, I was very much interested in and and like buying into Marxism and leftist politics and populist politics. And so I don't think it would have sat right with me to become a slumlord. So that was the other thing that I think kept me out of something like this. But something, you don't have to start out as a misogynist to get caught up in this, is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the point here. So what this really makes me worry about is whether this is also a threat to guys in their late teens or early 20s who are just leaving fundamentalism. Let me lay out my own scenario for you. Please do. Let's imagine a guy who was raised in the IFB. He's getting out. He's damaged by purity culture, but he's in the process of rejecting the religious parts of that. He wants to get out and date. He wants to go have sex with somebody. He wants to meet these worldly Jezebels that he's heard so much about. He also had a mediocre to poor education, and he probably hasn't gone to college or went to Bible college because of the IFB. So he, the jobs that are available to him are limited, and he is looking for this extra income. And also, he still has some of these toxic beliefs about masculinity, about women, about trans people. So he could potentially stumble across this content through so many different avenues. I could absolutely see that happening. Many of our exes out there in the audience know this, that the outside world is scary and that traditional values provides a structure in and like order and a way to make sense of things. So it's it's not telling you don't have sex outside of marriage. It's telling you it's it's not telling you that you have to go find a church to worship Jesus or or go out soul winning. And so in a very ginger dugger-esque way, it provides freedom, but it's similar enough that it makes sense. Unfortunately, cults don't work the way diseases do. So if you get a disease, like a certain strain of the flu, and you're exposed to that strain again, you're less likely to be infected because your body has antibodies to that strain of the flu. Or if you're vaccinated against a certain strain of the flu, if you're exposed to it, you're less likely to be infected. Or if you are infected, you're less likely to be seriously sick because your body has antibodies to that thing. Unfortunately, cults don't work like this. They tend to be the opposite of this. If you have been indoctrinated once into a cult-like way of thinking, it leaves you susceptible to other cult-like ways of thinking in the future, and it takes a lot of work to train your brain into other ways of thinking. Unfortunately, like other cults, in order for somebody to get out, they have to make that decision for themselves, and they have to do the work to untangle that, which is very painful. So I think, in conclusion, what I think stands out to me is that how easy it would have been for me to get sucked into this way of thinking without thinking, and how even young men who are raised liberally can get pulled into this and how we really have to be extremely vigilant about how our words and our actions affect other people. And we have to be really willing to give ourselves time to mature. I think as well, one of the other major ways in which we can ease this problem and and keep people from being as likely to be sucked into this is to maybe not make sex the be-all and end-all of young men's pursuits. I know that sounds crazy, but... I definitely feel like there is a lot of pressure 
put around that. And, and while it isn't as bad as it would be in with the fundies, if you're in the sec, the secular world, this is still a problem that, and, and we still do this. And I don't know what to say about this other than that, Sadie, do you have anything that you want to tell the audience else that, that you want to say before we wrap this one up? This is like, you know, there are a couple different trains of thought that I could go on, but I'm recognizing that they're all tangential. I'd absolutely love to do follow-up episodes on this topic, like to go into more, because this was such a general overview. I didn't even get mm-hmm. into any of the specifics of the things that I that I read people saying. Yeah, this might be one that gets a follow-up a little further down the road. Uh, I feel like every spring and every fall, we've kind of fallen into the habit of uh, getting into misogynist, misogynistic uh, cults and feminism and toxic masculinity. It's kind of been a, a pattern that we've gotten into here. Well, the one that I would really like to talk about, I would really like to talk about how um, you told me last year during Pride Month that you watched a documentary about how the gender critical movement is a cult. Yes. I think that exploring that idea at some point would be a great follow-up to this episode. That was a documentary by Kellen Conrad, who, which is, they are amazing. Their documentary was amazing. Everything they have to say is amazing. Um, they they infiltrated gender critical parenting Facebook groups over like a year and did a six hour documentary on it. That's fascinating. Yes, I do have a big announcement uh, for us though. Next week we have a collaboration that our audience has been begging for. I'm so excited for this. Oh, we are so excited. We can finally tell you we're going to be hanging out with the famous Jen of Funday Fridays. To talk about notable internet anti-feminist, Lori Alexander, aka The Transformed Wife. This is a topic that has been highly requested. This is a collaboration that has been highly requested. So your dreams have come true. We're very excited to see you next week for that episode. And our dreams have come true as well. Jen, as we all know, is the leader of the Fundy Snark movement. The leader of the Fundy Snark movement, indeed. <laughs> no, and I'm really glad that we're going to be talking about Laurie Alexander next week because I feel like Laurie Alexander is if is what would happen if you took an incel's brain and put it in the body of a woman. And yeah, who was also a Fundy? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm really glad that we're going to be doing that episode directly following this one because I think that the that that both of those are going to just like. It's going to be a fantastic uh, uh, um, follow-up. Um, anyway, if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, there's some things you can do to support us. There's going to be a very extended version of today's episode on the Patreon because we talked for so long about this topic, and it's so fascinating, and there's so much stuff that we, we, we just went for so long. So go and subscribe to our Patreon to get access to the extended uncensored ad-free version of today's episode on patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast you can follow our social medias um on facebook instagram and tiktok we're posting tiktok videos now follow us at leaving eden podcast and on twitter it is at leaving eden pod join our facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash eden exodus and share your thoughts on this episode Join the subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus, where you can also share your thoughts on this episode or anything else that's fundy related. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Sure, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. 
And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today, and we can't wait to see you guys next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Bye-bye. But old rolling river of time Healed me in too many days No regrets, no confusion There'll be no pollution I'm so thankful I've decided To change my ways I'm so thankful decided to change my ways Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.